Come and join me and five of the world's leading personal development teachers at the new Bulletproof Personal Development event, Be Unlimited. This is unlike anything else out there. Learn from me, learn from holotropic breathwork creator and non-ordinary states of consciousness expert, Dr. Stan Groff. Learn to meditate with Zen master, Genpo Roshi. Get an energy upgrade from master of the emperor's energy, Dr. Barry Morgulon. Enroll by August 3rd and save $500. Be Unlimited takes place in San Francisco, August 10th through 13th. If you can't make those dates, it's not a problem. There's another one happening January 18th through 21st in 2018. Go to bulletprooftraininginstitute.com for more information. That's bulletprooftraininginstitute.com. I really hope to see you there. This is one of those world-changing things I'm so excited to be doing. Bulletproof Radio, a state of high performance. You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. Today's cool fact of the day is that sexual arousal actually starts in the gut. It's because your gut has a bunch of bacteria, the probiotics and all the stuff that grows in there. And those things make some of your hormones, although your mitochondria make other hormones. They make enzymes and neurotransmitters like serotonin, which is something you need for sexual health. So maybe 80 to 90% of your serotonin comes from your gut, not from production inside the brain. And serotonin's active in different areas of female sexual arousal. It's in several of the uh, nether regions of the woman, to use a, a technical term straight out of the Victorian era, uh, <laughs> also known as girl parts, if we're going to go a little bit you know, deeper into the scientific jargon here. And what that means is that basically having enough serotonin can absolutely enhance your orgasms. Female orgasm starts with stimulation of nerves, which leads to contractions of smooth muscle in those same areas, and that's where the serotonin lives. So you get a healthy gut by doing stuff in the bulletproof diet and eating lots of vegetables, eating lots of fiber, and not eating lots of antibiotic tainted meat and things with glyphosate and things like that in it. But who would have thought? You can also get more serotonin by taking 5-HTP. And yes, Bulletproof has a 5-HTP supplement that also, strangely enough, reduces sugar cravings. Kind of a cool thing. All right, that was not meant to be a plug because my plug is actually much more benign than that today. And it is FreshBooks makes ridiculously simple cloud accounting software that's completely transformed how millions of freelancers deal with their day-to-day admin and paperwork. Here's how they've done it. FreshBooks has basically taken all the really annoying admin and paperwork tasks small business owners hate doing and turned them into simple, intuitive, and dare I say it, even enjoyable moments. You can use FreshBooks enjoyable. Okay, it's accounting. No one ever enjoys accounting except accountants. Let's just say that, but FreshBooks makes it good. You can use FreshBooks to create and send invoices in about 30 seconds. There's no formatting and no formulas, just really simple, clean, and professional-looking invoices. Your clients can pay you online, which can seriously improve how quickly you get paid. If a client forgets to pay you on time, FreshBooks will handle the awkwardness with customizable late payment reminders. FreshBooks has also cracked the code of effortless expense tracking by importing expenses directly from your bank accounts. Next time you use your debit card for that business lunch, watch the transaction magically appear in your FreshBooks account. That's totally liberating. Their mobile app lets you take pictures of your receipts and FreshBooks organizes them for later. It can create expense reports for you and also make claiming expenses at tax time a breeze, which is really important for entrepreneurs. This is the... This is only a tiny sliver of how FreshBooks can transform your entire perspective on dealing with your paperwork. To feel the full effect of FreshBooks and to claim your 30-day free trial, just go to freshbooks.com slash bulletproof and enter bulletproof radio in the how did you hear about us section. That's freshbooks.com slash bulletproof and enter bulletproof radio in the how did you hear about us section. Need some motivation in your life? Listen to an audiobook. 
Penguin Random House Audio produces audiobooks that range from self-help and inspiring listens to health and wellness audiobooks to thrilling, fast-paced novels that'll get your heart racing as you hit the gym. Listening to an audiobook will help you keep up with your reading while being productive. Listen to books from authors like Deepak Chopra, Elizabeth Gilbert, Charles Duhigg, Haley Pomroy, and Lee Child, to name a few, to get you going no matter what you're in the mood for. Visit tryaudiobooks.com slash podcast one for more inspirational listens and to try a free audiobook today. If you haven't had a chance to read Headstrong yet, you owe it to yourself to pick up a copy today. And the reason is that Headstrong just had the huge honor of hitting the New York Times monthly bestseller list, which is only 10 books that are top in the month. And this is in the science category, not the advice category where you normally find health books. I was amazed to find it sandwiched between Homo Deus and Sapiens, two very well-known books by the same author, and it shared the list with The Undoing Project and The Hidden Life of Trees and some other very noteworthy books. So that's uh, something that, that literally just blew me away. And if you like Headstrong, you've already read Headstrong, what you could do is you could go to Amazon real quickly and just leave a five-star review and tell people that it's worth reading. People decide what to read based on reviews. I fundamentally believe that when people do a few things to make their mitochondria work better, that they're nicer. We're all nicer when our mitochondria work because we're wired to be nice and kind to each other. So if you read the book or you share your experiences with the book and make someone else read the book, they'll be nicer to the people around them, maybe even you. All right. Today's guest is Dr. Lindsay Berkson. Dr. Lindsay's been a functional medicine, gut, nutrition, and hormone doctor for almost 40 years. You wouldn't know by looking at her because she looks like she's like maybe, maybe 32 at most. And she specializes in complex cases like high-risk hormonal patients, people with like severe gastro issues who are trying to avoid surgery, and has been doing this for a long time. And she comes at it from a weird perspective because... She lost seven and a half organs and 18 lymph nodes and was told basically that she's probably going to be weak and old because of her health history. And this happened because of a drug her mother took while she was pregnant. So she learned from personal experience, much like I did, how to hack her health and just to to work on what's going to work. So she does things like hormone replacement therapy, nutrition, and all the other things that cause rejuvenation, things tied to functional medicine and functional neurology, and very specifically hormones and sexual health. She teaches doctors, pharmacists, nutritionists, and other people who are getting their licenses on how they can avoid some of the medical stuff they do. So Dr. Lindsay, welcome to Bulletproof Radio. Oh, I'm so excited to be here because I I saw you at Mindshare last year, but you kind of stand above the clouds, and I was in such awe of you, which I am with the status right now of your book, that I didn't go up and talk to you, and now I get to hang out and have a dialogue with you. So I'm pretty excited to be here. Thanks for having I, me. I stand above the clouds. You're making tall person jokes already. <laughs> Jeez, just because I'm 6'4", people are always saying so many things. No, I'm kidding. No, it's a and, triple entendre. <laughs> <laughs> and Mindshare, uh, for people listening, this is uh, my dear friend J.J. Virgin's uh, group of highly influential uh, health authors and, uh, and, and celebrity types where we get together once or twice a year, usually about 100 or so, 150 people, and talk about how we can better serve uh, listeners, people like you, uh, and just in getting information that's impactful, that's out there, that maybe is missing, because all of us are sort of just tired of or, or even disgusted by some of the things that, that big industry is telling people to do. So the, the people like Mark Hyman, 
uh, and Daniel Amen and uh, and you and uh, just many of the guests on the show, like we're all working on the same team. We might not always believe the same things, uh, but we're all directionally working to change the health of the nation without using insurance companies at all. <laughs> so uh, anyway, that that was the the introduction for what Mindshare is, in case people didn't know. But what I wanted to chat with you today was I want to talk about hormones and the brain, because you write a lot about that. And then you also tie that beyond the, the cognitive performance and like just having enough energy to bring it every day perspective that I, I had in Headstrong, you're tying it all the way to human connection. So first, let's talk about hormones. Let's talk about how hormones cause a human connection. Okay, well, first of all, most people think of hormones as just sexy things and reproductive things. And when they get older, they're relieved that maybe they don't have to talk about them anymore or think about them anymore, but people do not realize that your body has a physiologic internet system. And what sends emails to most of your cells, that's the genes in your cells to turn a cell off or on, to turn the gene off or on. What does that are your hormones. So your hormone robustness affects your lung health, your gut health, your kidney health, your vocal cords, but it especially affects your brain. And this is not well appreciated. In fact, there is a group of scientists at UCLA at the Department of Neurology headed by one of my heroes, Dale Bresiden, and he is literally reversing mild to moderate dementia and other cognitive diseases. And he's got a whole protocol that's not pharmaceutically based, so it hasn't made it real big, even though he's published it in peer review. And one of the key foundations of his treatment is to balance the hormones of the individual no matter their age. And people don't realize that nature wants us to be flooded with hormones, not just to have babies, not just to have libido, but in writing this book, I discovered that nature wants us to have, we're built and designed to experience authentic human connection. And when that happens, hormones, as well as a, a number of other signaling molecules like neurotransmitters, which you began this talk with, are released, and they have very definitive brain caretaking effects. But due to endocrine disrupting compounds that we're exposed to on a daily basis that are hormone disrupting, and even sociologic ways that we now live differently with texting being the new talking, so there's less one-on-one -on -one connection, there's a lot more anger, there's many people starting to write books on this, our human connection is, and I love your book very much, our human okay. connection is waning. It's waning. And our brain health is waning. And the human brain is really under attack. And shockingly enough, if we go through the story of how I came about to write this book, intimacy was one of nature's ways to create hormones in your body to protect your brain. It's, uh, it's true. Intimacy ties to hormones and hormones tie to health, but also environment ties to hormones and hormones tie to health and then hormones tied to intimacy. It seems like we've kind of got the dragon eating its own tail, pushing a string, all those different analogies. Where do you start? That's really great. Well, I, you know, I wrote one of the very first breakthrough books that came out 18 years ago called Hormone Deception, all about this toxic cocktail that we're now living in and what are the effects on our children our kids' brains. And based on that book, I was invited to be a hormone scholar at an environmental estrogen hormone think tank at Tulane University, where I really worked 
with the guys who are developing this new field. And I had written books on the gut and I'd written books on hormones, but I was shocked to see how they converge in the bedroom. Um, in Hormone Deception, I said, girls are having menstruation earlier than ever. And when you change milestones of reproduction, this is huge. Menopause is happening um, earlier than ever. When you change milestones of reproduction, that can be adverse and that could be very huge, like the canary in the mind. But it appears as though this chemical soup that we're in is also, and I, I explain this, I almost, I give it a name, environmental castration for the very first time. And Mark Hyman wrote a really cool uh, paragraph on that, of that concept that our hormonal soup of chemicals that we're exposed to from the time we wake up till we go to bed are also creating havoc with our hormones. So we have to start taking a look at this differently than the academicians, because they're all about regulation and what should we do with the government. But here, when you have a patient come in to your office because I'm a clinician or you're ill yourself, how do you get this stuff out of you and how do you coexist with it in a world where the given is we have over 80 to 90,000 chemicals, only 2% of them have ever been tested. A lot of them are hormone disrupting. Um, Lancet came out with a very prestigious journal, came out with an article in October of 2016 saying that in America, which we have the most endocrine disrupting chemicals, we have a 11 million IQ points lost every year from exposure to these chemicals. And, and that was just in my immediate family. All right, sorry, I had to say that. I, I love statistics like that because just lead exposure, iodine insufficiency, those are cost, costing millions and millions of IQ points. And, and those are toxins, but when you talk about endocrine disrupting chemicals, what are the big ones, the, the things that people should watch out for? Okay, so what are endocrine disruptors? They're chemicals that can futz with our hormones. They can block them, they can mimic them, they can amplify them, they can block our metabolism of them. They futz with our hormones, and our hormones are set up to take a signal in the internet email system at parts per billion and trillion, itty bitty, almost you, the human brain can't wrap itself around how small that is. So low level exposure is the issue here, different than our understanding of carcinogens, which was higher level exposure being an issue. So the things that we now have been examining for what are the chemicals that we have that are problematic? The first thing is plastics. Plastics are very estrogenic. In fact, one of the um, people who developed plastics, Sir Charles Dodd, he also developed the chemical that was given to my mother that was the most powerful estrogen. So he kind of loved to make molecules that had an estrogen zing and fling to them. And he did that with plastics. So a lot of plastics are estrogenic. There are many compounds that are also anti androgenic, so they can amplify the feminizing effect and down-regulate the masculine androgenic effect. There's also chemicals that are anti-progestin. So there's phthalates. Phthalates are very commonly in almost all perfumes. And a woman takes a shower in the morning and she has all her pores open. She walks out of the shower and sprays her underarm with perfume or, or her body or her wrist with perfume. And the phthalates gain entry into the body. In fact, most healthy American pregnant women have phthalates in the amniotic fluid. 
It's a hormone affecting the baby's development as it grows. In fact, that's all of our concern is what is it doing to our kids. In 1980s, there were 3% complications with pregnancies. Now, one out of every four pregnancies has complications, which, according to Harvard and the School of Public Health, they feel is due to these chemicals. So the chemicals are in, uh, when you get a floor that's not a wood floor, but it's a um, it's a laminate, that can outgas. If you get paint that has VOCs, that could be endocrine disrupting. When you get brand new furniture, some of the real big guys are the foam inside the furniture or the flame retardants that you sit on and you love to have these stain-resistant flame retardants. And and California set really high levels a number of years ago to protect us from fire, but those flame retardants are very endocrine-disrupting with the issue being with the brain. So we live in a chemical soup. And the thing I found out the other day was if you go to Whole Foods and you buy almond milk or soy milk, there's an inner plastic why, lining. Why would you buy why would you buy soy milk again? Because you don't like your hormones or what? Oh, well, there's a huge debate about soy. There's good <laughs> stuff about soy and there's bad stuff about soy. So I know because soy soy does a lot of positive things. And I know there's a tremendous polemic uh, discourse. We could probably have a really good, we'll get on our gloves and have a good discourse about soy. But if you go oh, to buy a buy a milk alternative, those cartons are lined with polyethylene that is a low-density plastic. And you don't even think of that. You think, okay, cans have bisphenol A, and we're going to try and have less canned food, less soda food, because bisphenol A is an endocrine disruptor, like we've been saying. And it increases our risk of being fat. So it's also an obesogen. Blue sperm Uh, Blumberg at the University of California named these endocrine disruptors that make our fat cells not work well, and that's contributing to our obesity. And you know, the heavier you are, the smaller your brain volume. So in another indirect way, endocrine disruptors, if they make you fatter, can also make you lose more IQ. That's a really scary replicated fact. When I go on a date with Ma- on Match.com and a guy's sitting across from me and he ends up having too big of a gut, I know too much. So I'm thinking his brain volume might be decreased and that might not All be right. on my bullet list. <laughs> I, I've got to ask that. Okay, so you see a guy with a gut, you're thinking about dating him and you're a hormone expert. So you're like, okay, gut means his brain is going to be smaller, but what about the other parts? Yeah, you're exactly right. So when a man has excess fat cells, fat cells are estrogen factories. And a manliness is really all men and women have the same hormones. The difference is the amount. So usually a man has a low level of estrogen that protects his brain and heart. But when he has a lot more fat, that estrogen level goes up in ratio to his manly hormone, testosterone, that goes down. And usually the heavier the guy, the more the erectile dysfunction, the higher the voice, the more feminized behavior, the more difficult it is to live out the hormonal destiny. What's a a feminized behavior in a fat man? Well, it can be. I'm making discussions um, about this. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm curious. I mean, I used to weigh 300 pounds. I want to know how feminine was I? That's a great, yeah, that's, yeah, and you look so fantastic now. So testosterone, according to Michael Baker, who's one of my gurus, who's made the hormones his whole entire um, life career, he's a scientist at the University of California, testosterone is a stabilizing hormone. It's rock-like. It pretty much is 
compared to estrogen, level all day long. So men have more testosterone. They're meant to be more rock-like, more stable, whereas women are designed to be more emotional and a little bit all over the place by nature so that she can hear the baby if the baby's in danger. You know, that's one of the reasons women... Did you just piss off every woman listening to Bulletproof Radio or here, Dr. Lindsay? No, no. It's just that we're more <laughs> prone said- to be open and a little bit. I don't think they're pissed off. I think they're going, I'm relieved to understand why my emotions can swirl. <laughs> you said men were more stable than women. I, I think I heard that. Did I not? Well, that's what we are designed in essence to be, yet okay. this these days when there is so much hormonal imbalance and change, you were asking what a man that has a lot more estrogen might do. He might not be living out his testosterone destiny. He might feel a bit more prone to depression because women are much okay. more prone to depression. He might feel a little bit more insecure about closing that deal or 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 in interactions with people that are that ha- where he has to get his courage up. Things that But it's also like testosterone is tied to aggression, right? Well, that's when it's in excess. You know, okay. hormones are all about balance. And if you get more testosterone than you need, you will get a lot of aggression definitively. And that's why it's so important. Hormones have a Goldilocks mean. And when they're too low, it's an issue. When they're too high, it's an issue. Plus, they're in consort with their family of hormones, which also plays a role in how they act out. So balance is everything. And we're kind of out of balance because we're exposed to so many hormone-altering chemicals. All right. So so a guy who's exposed to hormone-altering chemicals, we get some of these xenoestrogens, which are a thousand times stronger than normal estrogen. By the way, they're not all just uh, man-made. So one of the strongest xenoestrogens out there comes from mold toxins. It's a mycotoxin. Definitely. They actually use it, they use it in cattle to make them fatter because estrogen in excess makes you fat. So like, oh, put a little bit of this mold toxin uh, into the ear of a cow in a little waxy pellet. It'll melt in to their fat. Of course, you'll eat it later. And then it causes that nice marbled effect in the meat. So you can cause marbling of your tissues with fat with synthetic estrogens or with Mother Nature's estrogens or with just onboard estrogen from being obese, right? That's definitely right. In fact, the drug that my mother was given, it was given to millions of women from 1938 to 1971 till it was uh, labeled a class one carcinogen. It was dumped by the millions of tons into feedlots to do just that, to marble the meat. It was the most powerful estrogen and it marbled the meat of cattle and made it taste really good. In what? fact, we state a lot of uh, farmers do this now under the legal uh, limit because it does make meat taste so good. What? What's it called? It's called, well, the acronym for it is DES, and the polysyllabic term, which is a little bit hard to say, is diethylstilbestrol. And a few years ago, Sweden is the only country that still tests any meat shipped to it if it's got some DES in it. And it's not supposed to because it's it's um, banned in the United States, but they tested our meat that was sent a few years ago and found that much of our meat today still has a lot of DES in it, which is a carcinogen, and it marbles your fat, and just like you said, it makes you fatter. So, One of the cool things about these synthetic estrogens that you write about in your book is that there's a metric in ranching. And I, I run a small farm. We have three sheep, so I'm not exactly a rancher, but I, I, I've studied this extensively, and a rancher with a, a thousand head of cattle, they look at something called feed efficiency, which is how many calories can I give the cow and cause it to gain weight? And they found that by adding synthetic estrogens to their cattle allows them 
to get a 30% improvement in feed efficiency, which means they got fat on 30% less calories. So if you still believe calories in, calories out, and you're listening to the show, you have to be able to accept that fact, which absolutely invalidates calories in, calories out, at its core. You have to look at that and say, there are environmental inputs to weight gain like that. And hormones are clearly one of them. When I weighed 300 pounds, I had lots of extra fat. And lots of extra fat, as you wrote about in your book, it causes you to make extra estrogen. It causes you to turn testosterone into estrogen. And so when I had my levels tested at 26, and this was almost 20 years ago, I had more estrogen than my mom. (laughs) And I had less testosterone than my mom. Uh, which was not exactly encouraging, uh, you, you could say. It does give you nice soft skin, I guess. It might, might be a side <laughs> effect, that kind of pudgy soft skin. It wasn't so attractive. And I, when I went on testosterone, uh, and I've been on testosterone on and off since then for anti-aging purposes, and I, if I'm really careful nutritionally, I'm in my mid-40s, I can keep my levels almost where I want them, but I do supplement testosterone. I've been very open about that since I started blogging because I'm an anti-aging guy. Like I expect to have 30-year-old testosterone when I'm 140, and I'm totally down with that. And So I did, I did notice, I'm just kind of going back, your description of what happens when you have extra estrogen. I definitely was less secure than I am now, but then again, I've done a huge amount of neurofeedback and personal development and ayahuasca and meditation and you know understanding, you know, your software. But there is something to be said for the amount of just power that comes from having adequate testosterone uh, as, a, as a man. What about for women, though? What happens when women are low in testosterone? It's very, very similar because we think of estrogen protecting bones, but testosterone protects our bones. One of the biggest places where testosterone affects both men and women is a cool little shape, a little cool shape that's this shape of a seahorse deep inside the brain called the hippocampus. And nature prioritizes the hippocampus so much that it has the most blood flow of any tissue and the most mitochondria, which you love to talk about. There's more mitochondria in there than anywhere. And that's because that's where our sense of who we are, our motivation, our meanness, all our memories are stored. And in both men and women, testosterone greatly signals and keeps that hippocampus volumized, fluffed up. And before cognitive diseases, there is something scientifically labeled hippocampal shrinkage. So in both men and women, testosterone keeps our hippocampus fluffed up so we feel stronger emotionally. And this, in, in writing Sexy Brain, I discovered every single time a man and a woman make love, they both have higher levels of testosterone. This was done by the Department of Psychology at the University of uh, Georgia State, excuse me, and they had 11 heterosexual couples and they measured their T levels before and after making love for 11 nights and then before and after making love uh, for when they, before and after when they didn't make love. And every single night you make love, both men and women make more testosterone. A woman makes it more just by hugging, but when they didn't make love, it didn't stay flat, it went lower. And why would nature do that? Because she wants intimacy to be brain protective, especially at the hippocampal level. Now, I I actually track my hippocampal volume because no man wants shrinkage, let's just face it. (laughs) 
Why are you laughing? Talk I guess I, 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 I'm shocked that you would think about that, having written a book called Sexy Brain. No, I'm kidding. But uh, my hippocampal volume is at the 86th percentile for people my age. So the strategy of having your hormones right, and honestly, I, I believe some of my hippocampal volume comes because I, I artificially enhance BDNF, a brain-derived nootropic factor. And you do that with exercise and cold therapy, all the stuff in Headstrong. But I take a supplement, and it's one we make called Neuromaster that raises BDNF four times more than exercise. Uh, so it's like I do that and I exercise. Like I do everything I can to, to make sure that I have neuroplasticity, make sure my testosterone levels are high but not off the chart high. They're at you know, 75th percentile thereabouts uh, for a 30-year-old, not a 44-year-old. I don't want to perform like a 44-year-old. And... It seems to work, like quantitatively. Okay, I'm in the upper percentiles. I'm not at 100%, but I'm, you know, I'm doing pretty well. What? Uh, okay, so we talked about hippocampal volume, and then we shifted gears on testosterone to lovemaking. But now I've got to ask you some detailed questions on this. A while back, I did uh, a year's study, and I was looking at some Taoist anti-aging practices involving ejaculation. And there's an equation for living a long time, and they'll tell you, take your age in seven, sorry, your age in years minus seven and divide by four. This is only for men. And it yields the number of days that should happen, or that, that you should go between ejaculation. So I'm like, all right, I'm gonna test this. I'm gonna test my daily happiness. And I didn't do like hundreds of testosterone draws and all that. Uh, but there's pretty good evidence that if you ejaculate too frequently, your testosterone will drop. And what I found was even going as long as 30 days without ejaculating, it wasn't that I didn't have sex. You actually, the less you ejaculate as a man, the more you want to have sex, surprisingly, because you're like, oh, I'm not going to finish, so maybe we can do it again later today. And so overall, from, from the woman's oxytocin perspective, this seems to be good. And from the man's perspective, your testosterone levels go up because you're making love more frequently, but you're ejaculating less. Have you come across anything around ejaculation frequency and testosterone levels or any of the intimacy sort of things that you're studying in Sexy Brain? Yes, that's a great comment. You know, I was a yoga teacher for 25 years and lived in India a long time ago. And one of the practices for male yogis were, was to intricate, to hold the ejaculate. And really, when you take a look at what's in semen, you start understanding it because semen is very high in zinc. And every time a man ejaculates, he loses a certain portion of zinc. And testosterone can be raised by zinc because zinc is so important for testosterone to bind at the gene level. And the same, that's why magnesium can elevate testosterone, exercise can elevate testosterone, zinc can elevate testosterone, certain amounts of vitamin C can elevate testosterone because they have a lot to do with um, the signaling of testosterone to the domain gene level. And when you lose that with an ejaculation, it can be minimized. But if you take supplementation, it can be maximized. But in the yoga circles, they were saying, well, if semen has all these wonderful things, it's like a multi, it's like a one a day multi-mineral. It's high in zinc. It's got a number <laughs> of hormones in it. It's really got, it's got prostaglandin, serotonin, oxytocin. It's like the old time, um, in China, they first started hormone therapy in China by taking the urine of really healthy young men and women and mixing it, 
dehydrating it and mixing it with herbs. And that was the very first hormone replacement therapy. And making love is a little bit similar to that, the semen. So they said, well, we won't lose it. We'll intricate it and we'll hold it up. And they've got all these different yogic maneuvers to, they're called Uddiyana Bandhas, to to bring the movement up instead of down. But I, I had a large number of uh, yogini friends at that time that were trying these things. And um, it's very difficult to do. They didn't really feel the benefit. I I think that because semen is so rich, like a one a day, that if you just make sure that you eat well and take nutrients, you'll replete yourself. That's what I think you, is going on. There's certainly the, the mineral loss. And it just biologically, it's expensive to make semen. It takes a lot of your protein manufacturing capacity in the body in order to make new proteins and to fold them properly and all that. And that means your environment has to be right. You have to have structured water in your cells or organized water or exclusion zone water. You have to have enough mitochondrial energy. You have to be able to read your DNA uh, with your RNA. And, and if you have blocks in any of those, uh, your hormone levels are going to, to be replete and you'll end up, or will not, will not be replete. And you'll also waste a lot of the just electrons, the biological energy that would have gone into maybe you know, taking care of wrinkles or keeping you to have strong bones to continue generating this stuff. So healthy animals have more sex. Healthy animals reproduce easily. And animals that are not healthy have less sex. They have lower libido and they have a hard time reproducing. And, so and when, young people today have lower libido. Our young adults have lower libido. That's just really quite extraordinary. But I wanted to make a mention. You mm -hmm. had that product that you said was the, the neuromastery. So uh, neuromastery, yeah. So there is a nerve growth factor that is very rich in semen that acts. It's one of those same trophic or growth factor family. Yeah. And it's because it normally enters the brain in women and helps ovulation. But it also really is brain caretaking released into the woman from um, having um, making love. I have to ask this, and I hope iTunes doesn't ban me for it. All right. <laughs> These compounds in semen, are they... Uh, how do I put this? Are these orally active? Are they topically active? <laughs> or are they, they just need to go in the vagina? That's a really cogent question. Thank you for asking that. And I bet you some of your listening audience was sitting out there thinking about these questions. I, actually, I think about 40,000 people just spit their bulletproof coffee on their windshields right now. <laughs> just looking at the percentage of people who listen to this driving versus when they're working. Um, <laughs> so anyway, that was the nicest way I could, I could ask it. But there is actually historical people who would use like bull semen or even human semen like facially in order to use the prostaglandins in order to reduce wrinkles and, and all that. But like, I don't want to be gross about things like that, but you're, you're sort of calling it a one a day. Like, like is, is it, are condoms bad for us then? <laughs> so, so this is, the, this was, well, first of all, any way that a woman is exposed to it, she absorbs it. She gets it when she swallows it. She get the, the vagina is like a sponge. And whatever yeah. it's exposed to goes right into the bloodstream, especially there's contractions happening that help push it up into the bloodstream. And even when you, you talk about people having used bull, you know, ejaculate and putting it on their face, well, we know women take bioidentical hormones topically. They call it dermal absorption, although that varies greatly from one person to another. But it doesn't matter which way you take it. But what's so crazy is that nature... When I was right, so what happened? Why I even wrote this book? If you would have said to me, "Why did you write a book on intimacy?" This is my twenty-first book. I never would have told you a few years ago I would be writing a book on this. But I have about ten or fifteen books on hormones, and a surgeon 
and a urologist that were opening up erectile dysfunction clinics, a hundred of them, said, we would love you to collaborate with us to write a book for our waiting room. And when I started doing due diligence and intimacy, I'm a healer. I'm a healer. So I use natural means as much as possible, hormones, um, I improve digestion. I look at the microbiome, nutrients. We're very much in sync about our thoughts. You wrote that Better Baby book, and I've been talking about green pregnancies, but I didn't understand the data and the elegant science that showed that intimacy was really important. And at the same time, in my own practice, I saw that young people have less libido these days. And when they opened the first five or 10 erectile dysfunction clinics, they were shocked thinking most of the guys coming in would be in their late 50s or 60s or 70s. Many of them were in their 20s because of the endocrine-disrupting toxic soup we live in and a number of other things. So, now, what, One of the things that, that I think might explain that in young people, not just the endocrine disruptors, because they've been around for 20 years, and I don't know that they're that much worse in the last 10 years than they were the 10 years before that, um, it's that young people now are exposed to huge amounts of blue light. And blue light causes all sorts of problems with sleep. And very specifically, you have the serotonin we talked about at the beginning, which is a sex hormone. Serotonin gets turned into melatonin. But if you're staring at your phone and it's got its full brightness on, you have LED lights all around you, it disrupts the circadian rhythm and it causes, uh, it actually causes changes in hormones. And if you're not getting any sunshine because you're indoors all the time, that also causes a depletion of, of serotonin and melatonin. Like I, I'm wearing, for people looking at this on, on YouTube, go to bulletproof.com slash YouTube. You can find all of these episodes. I'm wearing my cool, uh, these are the, the Daywalker glasses from True Dark. And this is one of the companies uh, that I've backed. And these block half the blue light during the day, but they don't block all the blue light because if you don't get some, you have a problem. But at night, I switch to the the patented ones that filter out all of the light that tells your body that it's time to stop making melatonin. So blue blockers are too much during the day, and they're not enough in the evening. And and this this for me has doubled my deep sleep uh, on a lot of nights. It, it's profound. I think young people might be dealing with light pollution as much as they are with endocrine disrupting chemicals. Do you buy that? We I do. It's multifactorial. We could actually okay. talk for 12 hours on all the different things that are playing a role into men not being the same man as their grandfather. In fact, at a, at a conference in the Senate, when they were talking about money for regulating endocrine disruption, one of the senators jumped up and said, none of us here today are as much a man as our grandfather. It's a famous quote in endocrine disrupting history. So there's many reasons why our hormones are going astray, but they are. And so we have to think, and I love that you guide people on giving them all kinds of positive things. And the melatonin is so huge. We think of melatonin as a sleep hormone, and you're talking about all the other nuances. You're a nuance connect the dot guy. But melatonin, when I was at Tulane, there was an MD, PhD who had made melatonin his life career. And he would share, show that melatonin helps us fight cancer as we sleep at night combined with omega-3 fatty acids. But one of the things it does is it polices our hormones. Melatonin is a powerful antioxidant that's been shown to be anti-cancer, fights cancer in over 60 different cancer cell lines, meaning 60 different types of cancer. So while we sleep at night, melatonin makes our hormones act better. So if we're exposed to endocrine disruptors, it's supposed to be there to help us, but it's being tamped down by the many things that you say, watching TV late at night, being glued to our screen. In fact, a study came out a few weeks ago that young kids that have monitors as games, infants, they have slow de 
they have developmental delays. We don't know how much that's affecting the brain because of constantly staring at that light. So there it, are many factors our hormones are going south, definitely. It, it seems like that's one of them. And for, for my sleep, I, I mentioned the True Dark glasses. We also have a, a supplement that just came out with Bulletproof called Sleep Mode, where you've got a plant-based melatonin and a bunch of other stuff that's not common in sleep formulas. Uh, so I, I take that. It's a very low-dose melatonin. The idea is if you control your light exposure, you black out your bedroom, you're eating the right foods, you're getting some early morning sunlight, you're probably going to make a good amount, but you just want to bump it up a little bit. And I... I'm immune to jet lag for the first time in my life. I mean, I, I would use Provigil or Modafinil. And I, I could always manage. I've, I used to commute from the West Coast to Cambridge, England once a month for a week. Like, like really bad stuff from a, from a health perspective. And I got pretty good. And it's to the point now where I literally fly to New York from the West Coast. And I sleep eight hours and get two hours of deep sleep. But I'm controlling light. And I'm controlling my supplements. I'm controlling my food. And I'm controlling my my actually my exposure to chemicals as much as I can, but when on an airplane, you're jacked. Like you're getting all sorts of crap. What do you do in, if, if you're a, a normal person with a normal job, you got a cubicle with flame retardants and formaldehyde in it. Uh, you're exposed to stuff in your workplace. You're exposed in your car to whatever the heck it is, new car smell is, which is mostly bad news from your hormones. And like you're bathed in this stuff and you got right. on an airplane, you fly somewhere what's the what's the protective mechanism like what what should i be taking what should i be doing because i'm not going to be able to avoid all this stuff you know i love what you just said about you're wearing these you wear these glasses during the day then you wear a stronger glass at night then you know how to sleep then you exercise then you're taking hormones you have all these steps to protect yourself, even if the world is toxic. So on one hand, it's the doomsday story. But, you know, we remediate whole lakes. We brought a lot of lead out of the environment when we changed gasoline. Remediation or cleaning up a terrain is possible. So you have to have within your life some things that you do on a daily basis that help rev up all of your HEPA filters inside your body to keep detoxing you. And in the book, I give a 10-day sex hormone receptor detox that you should do a few times a year and do every day some daily gentle because detox is kind of a way of life now. I mean, we're all designed to have detoxification mechanisms. Nature does that, but they're overwhelmed at the moment with the toxic soup we're in. So if you could have inserted into your life gentle, regular modes of detox and then several times a year, like at the equinoxes, my receptor detox was based when I first started doing it about 15, 17 years ago. It was based on literature from firemen because firemen mm -hmm. will walk in a burning building and be exposed to more chemicals than any other population that we know. And they would get cognitive issues and health issues. And they had to come up with effective detox methods to get them back on the job rapidly and to heal them so that these wonderful human beings that our firemen will be well again and be able to continue to protect us. So they did come up with some very effective ways of detox. And I've merged that into knowing what I've learned by writing books and working at the think tank at Tulane. So you have to have a certain amount of daily regular things and exercise really helps everything. And exercise helps us detox. And you can up that detox if you take a niacin. You have to be very careful. Some people get a little welts with it or react to it. So you start real low, 50, 100 milligrams. But I usually take before I work out about 300 milligrams of niacin. In fact, it's one of my people say, what do you use for your skin? And niacin is an old time way of just having better skin if you use it regularly over the years, along with working out and eating a colorful diet and all the things that we know are smart. But exercise 
bumps up testosterone, it improves your health, it improves your neuroplasticity in your brain, but also your brain is made up of the same embryologic cells when you were a fetus as your gut is. So it creates gut uh, neuroplasticity in your gut. And there's all kinds of supplements that you can take on a regular basis from vitamin C and um, uh, citrus pectin. There's a variety of things that you do. You probably even sell some supplements for detox. Can can I, can I ask you like the top four things I do? And yeah, I I make these, but I I would like your criticism as well as if you think they're, they're good or not, like, like help me improve. Okay. Can you just tell me what the one thing you added to the melatonin was in your new product? Um, uh, there's, uh, it's not just melatonin. There's a whole stack of things like oh, that. Um, okay. But uh, one of them is L-ornithine, the amino acid, because ammonia toxicity from excess protein is a major issue and ornithine helps you deal with that. So when you're sleeping, when you have excess ammonia, it messes up a bunch of systems in the body. So by adding that in there, um, you're actually uh, able to improve sleep in a way that is completely, like you wouldn't believe it, but it totally makes a difference. That is fascinating, Dave. That really is. So the that that's in that's in sleep mode and it it's it's one of those things where where you can go to any vitamin retailer and there's like fifty different sleep formulas and they're all pretty much the same and this is pretty different uh, because I I've tried a lot of this over the you know valerian root makes you feel drugged and GABA doesn't absorb that well and all, all these different things but as a formulating I like to call myself a formulating professional but I, I don't have a license in pharmacy or something but I, I know what I'm doing there and, and I. I feel confident, like I, I can feel the difference with the stuff. But but here's the the four things that I, I build in for my own estrogen and, and synthetic uh, um, detox, especially. Well, some of it's when I'm home, some of it's when I'm traveling. Uh, when I'm traveling, I'll like jump up and down, <laughs> like whole body shaking, uh, jumping rope or rebounding. When I'm home, I use the Bulletproof Vibe. It's a whole body vibration platform we manufacture. And the idea is shaking the whole body. It activates mitochondria, but it activates lymphatic flow. And I'll go for a walk if I can't do that sort of thing. But the idea is is the more gravity you can get just circulating things like that, it helps the body to get rid of the toxins before you take them up into your cell membranes. Thumbs up or thumbs down? I think that's a fantastic idea. Um, when I worked it with this integrative internist that died last year, sadly, but he was older, he'd been in practice 59 years, we had five or six of the vibrating machines in the clinic and people would come in and use them because it's very good for bone integrity. It's good for mitochondria, as you say. I wish you would make one that you could sit on gently while you're working because when I write books and I see patients, I'm always sitting and I've wanted to get an engineer to design something like that, but I'm probably not going to. So maybe you could take the mantle on that. Would this you, is strong enough that if you sat on it for 20 minutes as a woman, you'd probably really like how you felt, but you'd be done <laughs> after a certain amount of time. We'll just, that's like that <laughs> we'll just put it that way. That's like that episode in Mad Men. <laughs> uh, it, exactly. Uh, so uh, you might want to stand on it. <laughs> uh, might have just doubled the market size for the Bulletproof Vibe there. Um, well, you know, I... I um, I love that idea. And when I ch- chat with patients, I go in depth about high intensity because, you know, most yeah. strokes happen early in the morning when suddenly your blood pressure really, 
goes very high and your blood vessels can handle it. So high intensity prepares your blood vessels to be more flexible. They have more plasticity and it also makes more mitochondria. And it's kind of like a simulated, but not as good as your vibration. So there's whatever people can do to push themselves and have a lot of motion, poetry in motion. I mean, the more you can move, the more you can groove physiologically. So that would be very helpful for all of your P450 enzymes that are all throughout your body, not just your liver. That's a great idea. And I right. want to see your machine, how it differs from the machines we had in Oklahoma. Oh, awesome. This is a 30 hertz. It's the frequency NASA studied the most. So, but you said P450. All right, trivial question. Do you know why the cytochrome P450 is named P450? Yeah, I used to know how that was. Um, P, because I have that in my Safe Hormone Smart Woman. Let's see if I can go into that file right now and open it up. I think it's it's the light range, right? Isn't it? Yes. It's cytochrome. It's because light. It, it oh, God, thank you. See, yeah. hormones in my brain, they're working. Thank God. <laughs> they are. Very few people know that. So the, the P450 detox pathway in the liver is the primary first-line detox for synthetic chemicals and man-made chemicals, you know, foodborne chemicals, mold toxins, uh, anything, uh, damaged fats, damaged proteins, heterocyclic, I mean, it's all that stuff. P450 is going to clean it out. Pharmaceutical chemicals, at least it's one of the things. And it's named because they first discovered this because it would react and absorb light at the 450 nanometer thing. So even like the beginnings of biology are light-based, which is kind of fascinating. And, and that's a bit of trivia that I'm, it's cool that you knew that. All right. So but let's it, talk about P450. But it's also, it's, well, I just want to bring a cool thing up because you like, yeah. you like cool. Please little, do. So yeah. a little cool pearl. So it, the body comes down to light and energy, but it also comes down to shape shifting. And I love this. And I think this is why we're also viscerally affected by shape. Guys love the shape of a woman and women love the shape of mountains on a horizon or even the shape of a guy. And it's because these hormones that are the major signaling molecules in our body for multiple things, not just sexy and reproductive things, when they bind into uh, the bind a receptor, they shape shift like two people hugging underneath a blanket in a bed. If they were moving around, you'd see shapes moving. Once the shape shifting and shimmering, when you look at it under the microscope set up to see this, it's shimmering and shaking and shape shifting. And that's what delivers the emails. And that's why we're all so, um, so deeply affected by shape. I think that's a cool. Very cool. Very cool. It, 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 it is cool, and it's some of the reasons that certain designs in, in the environment around us just, they feel good. They look like you feel different in a space. We react at a very subtle level to that. All right, P450, there's two things that I do for P450, and one of them is I make an activated charcoal product, which is the finest particle size on the market. It's washed by acid to remove metals and things like that. It's a bulletproof activated charcoal. And what this is there to do is to absorb these chemicals and other things you don't want in your body in the gut, so my P450 detox pathway never sees them. Basically, you, you take it when you're eating junk food, when, when you're eating at a restaurant, when you're eating stuff you shouldn't eat, or take it on an empty stomach for detox because it absorbs bile. Uh, good strategy, bad strategy, what do you think? 
I love charcoal. I, I've been using a variety of detox methods on people who are very ill for many years. I wrote about it in my gut book, Healthy Digestion in the Natural Way. Dr. Gonzalez, who just died, who was a cancer guru, he used a lot of my detoxes for his cancer cool. patients. And I, charcoal was a part of that. Or, and sometimes I would also use betonite clay, which is has yeah. similar. So I used a lot of that. And anytime you're really wanting to clean out, and there's so much because we're in constant exposure to low-level damaging chemicals, not just endocrine disruptors, but many of them. It's much harder to have a regular healthy weight today than it was in the 1980s because many of these work like obesogens. The more you have charcoal, the more you have clay, it does wipe it out of the body. The only thing is you don't want to take more than you need or when you're eating, I think, a really great salad or something because it can cut down a bit on the wonderful things that you get out of food. But I yeah, love that. Love It'll that attract to proteins specifically. And yeah, you, if you're eating super high quality food, you don't need it. If you're eating questionable food, maybe it's a good trade-off. I think it's I, a great the, idea. Great yeah. idea. Okay. So, so you would you would support that. The other two things that I do are we make a, a liposomal encapsulated glutathione, which directly supports the P450 pathway. That's one of the things glutathione does. And then it's not P450, but the backup to P450 in the liver is the glucuration or glucarination system. So we make a calcium deglucurate supplement you can take that provides the compound required to stick to these toxins that the P450 doesn't get. And there's studies of calcium deglucurate that show that it helps the body to bind estrogen and excrete the estrogen. I know Good strategy. a lot of people, so my one of my specialties is breast cancer be, right. because- DES daughters, Dartmouth proved this with a longitudinal trial, and the the scientist who was the head of that was kind enough to give me a really beautiful comment on that book, Safe Hormone Smart Women. 85%, many women who were exposed to this powerful estrogen in the womb got breast cancer about age 45. So I did too. Right. I got breast cancer. So because I had it and I battled it and et cetera, it's, it's become something I love to work with women when they're diagnosed. It's very terrifying. So a lot of alternative doctors recommend calcium deglucurate as one of the estrogen protective nutraceuticals. I haven't, I felt like it didn't give me as good a bang for my buck as some other nutraceuticals and it's a little bit pricey. I haven't what, found- what are, what are the other ones? Well, you know, when you really want, so for example, like melatonin, we'll get a woman who just had breast cancer- on high dose melatonin because it turns it it down regulates estrogen alpha receptors so that your estrogen in fact if you give a, a very high dose of melatonin to a young menstruating woman you can get her to stop menstruating because it turns off estrogen so powerfully so there's wow. an like pomegranate does the same thing down regulates estrogen receptor alpha but up regulates the estrogen receptor that most people don't know about so they think soy is bad and horrible because it's estrogenic but it up regulates estrogen receptor beta which literally stops carcinogenesis and reduces your risk of right. recurrence so i kind of use is, is nutrients this? that do that Okay. With soy, is this just the isoflavones from soy you're talking about? Or is this entire soy beans and soy milk and all that stuff? That is a perfect question. So soy was a huge debate when I was at the think tank at, at Tulane. And I went to conferences before and after I was officially at the think tank as a scholar. So they put on estrogens in the environment seminars for 33 years. And soy was debated 
every which way, at almost every single one of those seminars, the last five or six that I spoke at myself were called E.Hormone seminars, and soy was usually one of the biggest debates. And there were lots of people testing it from every which way. So a little short summary of what came out of those. So the first thing is the isoflavones, the separate ones, they don't act so healthfully. And they promote, okay. they look at MCF7 breast cancer cells. Those are cells that were taken from a, a nun many years ago that had breast cancer and they propagated them and they do a lot of the research on this line of cells that actually came from a nun that had breast cancer called MCF7 estrogen dependent breast cancer. And I got to work with the guy who discovered the ER, the estrogen alpha receptor. Um, uh, 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 his name is... Um, I'll think of it in a moment, that guy who discovered ER beta, Yanaki Gustafsson, and we got to work all together. So you learn so many nuances. They felt that the isoflavones separately were not so good. And if soy was hydrolyzed or processed as a protein, when soy got futzed with, so it was processed in essence, but if soy was a whole food, there are thousands of epidemiologic research studies showing that soy intake as a whole food, lowers risk of gynecologic hormonal cancers, such as uterine cancer, ovarian cancer, breast cancer. And um, for every certain amount of isoflavones that you take in that are natural and part of the whole food complex, you have a reduced risk of recurrence. This is from the nurses' study, the Framingham study. These are large bodies of study. In fact, I was just lecturing in Oregon with Dr. Tori Hudson, and she said to the audience, I hope everyone's put the soy issue to, to debate, you know, to a close, because soy is protective of the estrogen receptor, uh, estrogen receptor beta, but it's a different issue with thyroid. It's a separate issue. And of course, if it's GMO soy versus non. So there's all these caveats on soy. There's, there's also, I, I just interviewed uh, Stephen Gundry, and one of the big parts of the Bulletproof diet is avoid inflammatory compounds. And there's oxalates, which come from uh, uh, certain types of foods, specifically raw kale, <laughs> raw chard, raw spinach, things like that. Uh, which cause inflammation, and they cause a certain degree. And then you have the lectin-containing foods, which uh, Stephen Gundry just wrote a big book about that. And soy is very high in lectins, which trigger autoimmunity. Not necessarily cancer, but they cause inflammation elsewhere in the body, especially as a whole food. And then in the bulletproof diet, we also have like mycotoxins and histamines and other things like that that trigger inflammation in, in people. So I, I think that, that when I look at the system of soy, like the entire effect, would I eat some soybeans if I was dealing with breast cancer? Yes. Would I eat some soy if I was looking to live a very long time and I didn't have breast cancer? Man, I'm having a hard time with that argument. But would you, I mean, do you, do you think we should all be like, you know, pounding the edamame? No. In fact, men don't handle soy near as well as women. There's some studies out of Hawaii, and I called up and spoke with some of the researchers. They weren't that well controlled, but there was some un thinking that men were getting a little gynecomastica, which is getting men ma man boobs. Dude, I, and Man boobs piss me off. i got to ask you about those in a little bit. Okay. Right, keep going. So there's some issues, and, and he, even in that study when I chatted with him, he saw a little bit of um, cognitive decline in men that consume soy. So Men consuming soy is very different than women, and at the conferences we had, a lot of the scientists were very alarmed that women were giving, if a baby was reactive to dairy, very alarmed that the mother was giving soy to, to a male baby. We don't know what that's going to do, and it is estrogenic, but in for gynecologic cancers, it's different. So there's finesse oh, to yeah. this, finesse yeah. to this, and exactly what you said. So soy is not something to be used by everybody. 
Um, so I went to school with Dr. Peter Diadamo when I t- was at uh, National in Oregon, and he is the one that wrote your your blood type based on your blood type and came out with an understanding. He was like a real a visionary about the effects of lectins and what they do, but not, yeah. but not everybody's affected by lectins, and some lectins are more sticky than others. Like gluten's a real sticky lectin; it's a super glue lectin. But um, that's why whenever you do look for something that's working for you, it's good to work with somebody that knows how to evaluate your situation, your time of life, your goals, your physiology, and get it done so it's as safe for you as we know it can be at this yeah. moment. Yeah, if you're using soy as a as a drug or as an herbal treatment, that's a totally different animal. Same thing with mushrooms. Like generally, for quite a lot of people, eating mushrooms has a big downside that isn't well recognized. But I'm a huge fan of medicinal mushrooms when you know what the mushroom's going to do and you know your biology and you can plug it in. And it, it's one of those things where the specificity matters. So I, I think we're actually agreeing on soy, I which is that are. it can be useful, but that if you're eating soy as just a regular nutritional food source you might not like what happens uh, uh, because you've got you've to understand all the different biological things it's doing. But if I had one of the cancers you're talking about, it sounds like I'd be like, you know, rubbing edamame all over my body. But that's so, for a woman. You wouldn't give yeah. soy to a man with prostate cancer. You would give other things. Uh, no. So it's so interesting. Yep. It does, they're gender specific in terms of using nutraceuticals and herbs and foods. Yes. And you have to have someone that understands that as well as your own situation, kind of individualize your your nutraceutical footprint. That's exactly right. All right, let's talk about one of my favorite topics, man boobs. So full disclosure, <laughs> every guy on my dad's side of the family has man boobs. Like by the time they're in their mid forties, they pretty much should be wearing training bras. Like, it's got to be a genetic thing. And certainly, given that I weighed 300 pounds, I had a nice set of man boobs. And I don't generally have them now. Like, I don't know, you can look on video. I I can't see myself on the video. But I don't have man boobs right now. But if I get exposed to inflammatory stuff, uh, they'll grow. And it's interesting. I was at a conference in San Diego, and I stayed in a hotel room that had toxic mold. Toxic mold causes systemic inflammation in me very dramatically, and it causes cancer, and it has lots of xenoestrogens in it when you breathe it, and you, and you get it on your skin, things like tricosathene. That's why I did Moldy Movie, the documentary moldymovie.com. If you're listening and you're a fan and you, you, know, you think mold might not matter, you have to see the movie because I interviewed like all the experts, like the big names you've heard of, like Mark Hyman and Daniel Amen and all these people saying, good God, it's a problem. So I have this great photo of me with... Uh, Oh, geez, I'm blanking on who it was. One of the luminaries in, in, in the field of, of business and personal development. And because I've been exposed the day before, I have, I have a rack, for lack of a better word. Like, like literally, I probably have like grown an A cup overnight. And I put it up on social media, and someone's like, oh, Dave, you know, n- nice boobs. And I'm like, damn it. So like, like for me, man boob formation that comes and goes overnight is an inflammatory thing. But because I had lots of estrogen when I was younger, I, I tend to still grow man boobs. Like if I if I am over aromatizing my testosterone when I supplement with testosterone, they will grow. They'll grow within within minutes. I take DHEA, I, I take pregnenolone, any of the precursor hormones. I always get estrogen. I always grow boobs. How do I stop my man boobs without surgery? And I know that there's like famous actors out there 
um, who are, are kind of public, yeah, I had my, my glands removed because I got tired of this. Like, wh- what's a man to do to prevent man boob? Well, you know, you can have more active aromatase genes that make your testosterone go to estrogen, and that oh, can be inherited. I have, I have them all. So you've it's got terrible. real active uh, aromatase genes. But um, one of the things that helps wipe... So what happens when you have those genes is you can accumulate estrogens that you don't want to be accumulating in your breast tissue. That's why the mm-hmm. incidence of breast cancer is going up up in men when they're exposed to certain estrogenic chemicals on the job, but also um, there can be uh, epigenetic changes of the aromatase genes that make you more prone to not being a- able to do a good job of rinsing your hormones, especially estrogen, out of your breast. So, so what? So, you're, so the work of Eskin. Well, I would. You're suggesting breast massage? Like, what's, no, I'm kidding. Well, like, like what, what do I do for these things? Come on, give, give me the secrets. Well, there is, there is a gentleman, and this research has been replicated. His name is Eskin. In fact, now I okay. remember who did the estrogen receptor alpha. It's Elwood Jensen. So I'm, I'm getting okay. my names together. So Eskin did quite a number of, of research and maybe 30 or 40 studies basically showing that iodine helps rinse estrogen out of the breast. And one of the things, in fact, that I recommend and work with the doctors of the women who have breast cancer is to do a little bit of DMSO mixed with Lugol's iodine topically mm-hmm. on the breast. And you can use that with a gent. It's be used at a different dosage. It would be used you know, only a few times a month, depending on how your gynecomastica, which is man boobs, responded to that. And there's also an herb so when I wrote Hormone Deception, I interviewed this real, I get to interview all these, like you do, these cool researchers that spend their whole life thinking, you know, they're agile thinkers, yeah. and they have a lot to share. And this one man had made lymph flow his entire life study. And he, when people get lymphedema, where they get buildup of lymph, so they have huge limbs, they might get it after having lymph nodes removed, they might get it from a disease, it's a terrible disease. You mean some of see in some medical books, people carrying around a limb in a wheelbarrow, they're so big. And so he tackled this and discovered with years of research, that bilberry extract that comes from the Mm -hmm. bilberry fruit, 80 milligrams twice a day is along with certain weight exercises. And then I've added to that the DMSO Lugol's iodine topically is very, very helpful to get lymph to move because it's very difficult to get lymph to move. It's, it's, you'd think it would be easy, but it's not. So that's fun. Uh, funny enough that you mentioned bilberry. Uh, bilberry is part of eye armor, one of the bulletproof supplements for, for making your eyes strong, because bilberry was first used by pilots in World War II to increase their night vision, and it's part of, it's a polyphenol source that is very important for your eyes and your mitochondrial function. But I had no idea that it increases lymph flow. Like that is profound. It is, but it takes, so he said in the people that had very severe lymphedema, which is this it's a debilitating, very sad condition. And after a woman, if she's... Now we have more sentinel node dissection, which means they put a little dye in the, bre- the breast when a woman has breast cancer surgery. And usually there's a first lymph node that the brain, the breast drains with. So they'll put this dye and it'll go to that first lymph node. Now they remove that and one or two others. But for many years, they removed a lot. And it was kind of like putting your hand on a pumpkin and pulling out all the insides. You didn't know how many seeds were in there if the lymph nodes were the mm. seeds. Um, and so bilberry does help that, th- that move. And it's very difficult to treat people, but it takes about six months 
And in, in very severe cases, I double the dose, 160 milligrams twice a day, along with weights, small weights. So there's pumping, pumping. Probably your standing on your vibration would be really great, but you still have a tendency even with that. So you want to take a look at clearing those hormones out of the breast tissue. And one of my favorite ways to deal as a natural aromatase inhibitor is uh, there's several articles on grapeseed extract that not only does it act as a natural... <laughs> <laughs> aromatase inhibitor, it tamps down aromatase genes. So your genes are uh, quieted. Yep. You get designer genes. <laughs> I, I'm just, I'm laughing because I didn't know you go there, but our polyphenomenal supplement has a bunch of grapeseed extract in it uh, because it, these are important uh, phytochemicals, not just for what you're talking about, but for mitochondrial function. So all the research in Headstrong, where I didn't know these facts you're telling me, these things are so profound at turning up the way your mitochondria work so you have more energy. I did not know either of these effects. So you're totally educating me on these things. And it's just funny that, yeah, I take that, I take that, but not for the reasons that you just taught me. So this is cool. I'm right, going so, to so, have to be an affiliate because your products exactly. sound really great. And they sound right up the alley of the things I recommend based on that person's individual case. So I love what you're doing. Wow. So, oh, okay, so for so for my man boobs, you're totally blowing my mind. So, so for people listening, DMSO is this stuff that's been around for a long time. It's a source of sulfur, and you rub it on your skin, and it'll take anything on your skin and put it into your blood. And it, it, you put it on like a drop on your hand, you'll taste garlic, which is that kind of sulfury smell. But it's a great way to, to force things into your tissues, and it's been used uh, much like MSM, which is a, a derivative of it, on, on joints. And... You don't want to take it if you have a problem with sulfur metabolism, but if you mix it with iodine, you put it on your moobs uh, or your boobs, as the case may be, then it's going to basically penetrate the tissues really, really rapidly. The iodine goes in, does something, and we know iodine for thyroid and for, for all sorts of systemic mitochondrial uh, enzyme reactions that's required. Uh, so you're doing that, and then you take bilberry to make the lymphatic stuff flow, and essentially you're washing the tissues and the, the breasts out. Right. Iodine is the main mineral that the, that the hormones jump on piggyback to float on through and go through the whole lymphatic system. It is wow. one of the main mineral drivers of the lymphatic system. Profound. All right. That's very interesting. Now, let's talk doses. Leucol's iodine is typically used at very high doses. There's people who do 15 milligrams of iodine a day. It's called the Brownstein Protocol. Uh, for turning on your thyroid. I have I've played around with that and I am completely off of thyroid hormone now, but my TSH is going up slightly, so I may go back on a yeah, quarter yeah. grain. I, yep. I used to do like two grains a day, so I, I'm 90% there, if not all the way off. And uh, what's the right dose of iodine well, for the average person versus a breast cancer person, which is going to be very different? Well, you know, it's funny though, um, when I was talking to a lot of these scientists writing hormone deception and writing sexy brain, because they all kind of converge, they did talk a lot about breast massage. And that's one of the reasons that um, breast massage causes more oxytocin, but it also, as you make love, and if you make love more frequently, and you do a lot of robust, but gentle, not painful breast massage, you do help rinse these um, nutrients out, which is there's so many beneficial things about making love and having love and having your breast touched is nature's way of helping you stay on top of the curve of not having an adverse buildup or accumulation of hormones in your breast. Usually with Lugol's iodine, and, and we mix it with DMSO because it's a biological driver. So, you know, it's terrible and very, very scary if a woman were to get a breast cancer on her axillary her chest wall if it and if it of course if it travels outside of the primary tumor so we want to get 
all of that tissue underneath her armpit, all through her chest, everything protected. So we mix um, Lugol's iodine and we mix it in different drops. And the dosage is all dependent on if she's stage four, what her treatments have been, how well she can handle it. We usually start really low, but you do have to track the TSH. And I had one of the most polemic discussions. So is between- and by the way, TSH is, is a thyroid stimulating hormone for people listening. So okay. if your thyroid is too low, your body will secrete more TSH to say, hey, I need more thyroid. Right. It's inverse. Keep, keep going. Yeah. So what's really yeah. so David Brownstein is a really good friend of mine and I love him to death. And Alan Gaby is like a brother to me and I love him to death. And they both have completely different views, which is great because different <laughs> views make you grow rather than be yeah. fearful of difference. So Brownstein likes a lot of iodine and Alan Gaby feels that's way too much iodine and it's tamping down thyroid function more than what our worries are about soy. So really with dosage, it has to be personalized. Every single thing, the dosage of a nutraceutical has to be personalized, in my opinion. And you have to try it because nobody knows better than the person taking it themselves. So I think in the wave of the future, even with a lot of meds, will be you give a person a starting dose, be it a nutraceutical or even a med like thyroid medication, and say to them, titrate it yourself. Go on this dose for a week, go double it the next two weeks, double it again, and let me know how you do. There's a lot of discussion at this on a hormone conference I went to in Utah a few years back, the concept of self-titration, which really just comes down to can you tell how you feel when you are on this? Yeah. Now, a lot of people are cut off from the neck down, but once they're given permission and intention to be mindful, you can give a template of a recommendation to a patient, but you want them to work with you for how they feel as a response. So dosage to me is, a, is an artistic, creative, and also co-creative thing between myself and the person I have the honor to work with. Especially with with nutrients, it, that's why it, it's pretty important to to put the pills, take them out of the bottle, put them in your hand yourself until you learn what they do, so you can see what's going on. And just a word of warning for people here: uh, Lugol's iodine, you can have too much. If you were to like yes. douse yourself yes. in it, you can actually kill yourself. Like like it's hard to do, but it's not impossible. So don't just splash that crap at full strength all over you. You might not like what it does. You might end up in the hospital. And number two. If you're doing a Lugol's protocol, whether it's topical or if you're putting a few drops in water, which can help with SIBO and help to get rid of bad stuff in the gut, uh, which certainly is something that I, I used to do but haven't done in a long time, you can tell when you've hit your daily limit for Lugol's iodine because your mucus will become completely watery. Not like runny, but like you'll have water in your nose all of a sudden. And that means you've basically hit your Lugol's limit for the day. Uh, which is is kind of cool. So so someone who doesn't use Lugol's at all and is iodine insufficient is going to soak into your skin really fast and you're not going to get a runny nose. But after you've taken it for a while, a dose that would have been no problem, all of a sudden you're like, whoa, like my nose is running. You, you finally hit enough. So that this is just a little like, what's, what's your body telling you kind of thing? Boy, you know, you just connected the dots for me in something. I didn't know that. But when I first studied with Bernard Jensen way back in the 70s at the Hidden Valley Health Ranch, he would say, and the same thing that Jonathan Wright, they're always looking at physical yeah. signs of what gives you a flashing red light on your physiologic dashboard that you're low in something. And they said, if you have a lot of boogers in your nose or a lot of earwax build up in your ears, you're iodine deficient. So obviously the more iodine you have, it moves lymph, it moves your mucus. And now you're saying if you have too much, I didn't know that. 
you have runny. So it, it helps things flow, your lymph flow, your mu mucus flow. And that's really good to know. And you just put a connect the dots for me. It, it, it's like an endless an endless event correlation thing out there. Like, oh, this and this equals that down the road. And it, it's a fascinating thing. And I, I think with artificial intelligence and machine learning, we're going to like, we're going to discover millions of these correlations that even as like the, the great event correlation humans out there, like we're pretty good, but nowhere near what computers can do. And that's why like there's a company called Viome. Uh, Naveen Jain was on the show recently uh, and it's uh, V-I-O-M-E. He's, he's getting more data out of the gut biome than we've ever had in all of history. And it's like 99 bucks a month. You get four tests a year. And, and like I joined the advisory board on, on Viome because it's it's one of those things where they're taking all that, throwing it into big data. They hired the Watson team from IBM to do their big data. And it's like, it's cool stuff. So that, that's something I'd recommend you check out. Oh, I'm going to uh, definitely do that. I think okay. that the, the the focus, of course, is on the microbiome and the gut. But what's interesting, so Michael Baker is one of my mentors. And his whole, I mentioned him before, his whole career is about hormones. And he's now publishing papers to show that endocrine disrupting compounds can paralyze the microbiome. And one of the things the microbiome does that Harvard published in 2013 in Science was that it, this is why I say that sex starts in the gut and that your microbiome, the, the, the teeming microbial life inside your gut, it has lifelong crosstalk with your testosterone, and it even makes androgens. We've now discovered that parts of the gut make hormones. You don't just make hormones in the prostate and the ovary and the adrenal glands. You actually make hormones in your gut, and your microbiome yeah. makes testosterone because it improves your immune system in your gut. And that's one of the reasons that people who have higher generous levels of testosterone in their blood have less complications after a gastric surgery. But if you are exposed, you eat a poor diet, you're exposed to a lot of chemicals and you don't exercise, you don't do a little bit of general detox, you don't stand and vibrate, whatever the, the multiple constellation of things you've decided to come together to protect yourself are, then you stop making that test testosterone. Why would nature have gut flora make testosterone? Because it's so important and the brain, the gut tissue is so similar to the brain and testosterone protects all that tissue, brain tissue, gut tissue. Why would we both make more testosterone after coming together and hugging and being in the boudoir, because nature wants us to have not excessive amounts, but gentle amounts. And we live in a society with endocrine disrupting compounds. That's we have an epidemic of low T in young males that we've never had before. It's documented now in research. They've been tracking testosterone, and it's going down. And people are doing it less. People make love less, and the millennia generation is the generation that's making love less than the comparative uh, population in this study uh, several decades ago. So our T is under attack. Amazing. Well, Dr. Lindsay, I have one more question for you. If someone came to you tomorrow and they said, I want to perform better at everything I do as a human being, you know, not just athletic or whatever else, but like, like everything. What are the three most important pieces of advice you'd have for me? What would you tell them? This reminds me of being on a radio show in Oklahoma where I debated the guy that owned his, he owned Bodies by Michael. And we said, what's more important, exercise or nutrition? And here he was mm -hmm. a trainer all his life. And he said nutrition was more important, that he saw yeah, a bigger difference. Is. And then, you know, and I was, it's so interesting. And of course, really putting me under 
against the wall to say just three things. You, you get three, though, so at least it's not just one. <laughs> <laughs> it's the holy, the holy trinity. I would say the first thing is exercise, and the second thing is nutrition, and the two are head and head, neck and neck. Yeah. And then the next would be hormones because they run everything. They run your microbiome. They run your gut. I'm giving a four-hour conference in front of several thousand medical doctors at A4M in September in Chicago. And I have my next new book called Nutritional Gastroenterology. And it's all about the unappreciated role of hormones in the gut and our brain. So I guess I would say those are the main three. But I, I, you didn't let me say digestion or you know gut robustness. <laughs> so I hate being... Oh, Minimize. There's thousands out there, right? Which would so what I, would you say? What would you say the top three are? I would actually say that the number one most important thing you can do is uh, gratitude, uh, because when you can express gratitude, it takes you out of fight or flight, and then your body digests your food better. It makes hormones better. Your brain knows work better. Like it, it's one of the highest level things you can do to send a signal to your body to chill the hell out and do its job. Uh, the second one would be, and I've answered this lots of different ways. The second one right now would, would be a follow something like the Bulletproof Diet. You need to eat low toxins and you need to be in cyclical ketosis, right? Cyclical ketosis with toxins is not, it just doesn't work. So straight ketosis all the time for most people doesn't work. So sometimes have ketones, not all the time it is, a, is part of it. And the third thing there would be- Do you sell ketone products? Or do you do it mainly through diet? What is what is your preference? I sell the large the largest selling exogenous ketone on the market right now is brain octane oil. It's part of bulletproof coffee. So when you drink uh, the the amount I recommend, if you have an average metabolism, uh, you can make ketones up to about 0.5, which is what turns off uh, ghrelin and turns on CCK. So you're full for hours, and you get enough ketones to start enhancing mitochondrial function. And I recommend nutritional ketosis. But I do not recommend ketone salts because half of the ketones in them are not bioidentical. And they're, according to one of the world's experts, there appear to be some risks there that aren't well, well quantified yet. That's so interesting because CCK is such a caretaker of the gut. So I love that. Yeah. So I love that. I'm going to have to try that. Okay. Yeah. So, well, I'm happy to send you some brain octane. That wasn't meant to be a plug there. Um, it, it's just uh, you've, you've got to have some ketones present some of the time. You're just not going to like it. All right. Well, this has been a fascinating interview. And Dr. Lindsay, where can people find out more about your latest book? They can go to Sexy Brain System. Somebody else had sexybrain.com. So I have sexybrainsystem.com. And I've got all kinds of free gifts and some videos on the one thing to make sure you don't do when you detox and the one thing you should. And they can find out a lot of fun things about the book. So sexybrainsystem.com. And at my website, drlindsayberkson.com, I have over 2,200 blogs. I'm a very active blogger and I'm always doing new things. I'm putting on a new free uh, webinar in about two weeks. And I have so much information is coming out about how the human brain is under attack and how mitochondria are under attack that it's, I've, I've gone beyond even the book, which of course is very cutting edge. It just came out in February. So I decided to do a course called Sexy Brain, Why You Want One, How to Keep One. And it's the first time I've ever launched a real online course. So it's a little nervous and it's a little wonderful, but I have that launching sometime in the near future. So if they go to Sexy Brain System or DrLindsayBerkson.com, they'll be able to find out if they sign up. I'll be sending out messages when these free things are happening and when the course will be happening. And I'm also going to take a look at your products and write maybe a little blog on that, maybe a blog on our fun experience of talking today. 
Thank you, Lindsay. Have an awesome day. I appreciate you taking the time to be on Bulletproof Radio. Thank you very much for having me. It was great. And I love a room with a view. Thank you. (laughs) So welcome. The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.